church, our Lord said, Why are you persecuting me? So Christ is still on the cross. Behold, I stand at the door of God. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You're listening to Behold the Man with your host, Joe McLean. Hello and welcome to Behold the Man with Joe McLean. I am your host and I am so excited to be with you today. This is the first show of Behold the Man and I hope you like it. I hope you're going to come back for more. Before we begin, um, I'm going to just say a quick little prayer, but I hope to give you a little bit of background information about who I am and what I do, and ultimately talk about what we hope to accomplish with this show. So let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Oh, all glorious and wondrous God, we stand before you to praise your holy name. Father in heaven, I wish to be used by you today. I pray to be the donkey on which my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ rides for your glory alone and not mine. Let me be the pencil in your hand. May your Holy Spirit come down upon this show and give me the words that proclaim your glory alone. For not my will, but thine will be done. I pray for all who listen. May your Holy Spirit reign upon them, fill their hearts full of joy, compel them to reconciliation through your blessed sacrament and bring them home to the church. May your glory be spread throughout all of creation. We praise you. We praise you. I seek the intercession of my dear blessed mother. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, once again, welcome. Welcome to Behold the Man. Why Behold the Man? Well, John 19, we read how Pontius Pilate was faced with this image of our Lord, beaten, bruised, whipped, torn his flesh was shredded from his body from the cat of nine tails from the scourging that he endured with a crown of thorns on his head this bloody pulp of a man standing before him and he faces the crowd of the mob the jews who brought jesus before him and he says behold the man i want that image to be in our minds as we as we explore our Catholic faith, behold, the man, our Lord Jesus Christ, stands before us. And then in the intro, you hear a quote from Revelation chapter 3, verse, starting in verse 20, of our Lord standing at the door and knocking, because he is inviting you today. He's inviting you. He's knocking on your door. And if you will only open that door, he will come in. And he will dine with you, and you with him. What a beautiful image we have in that. What is that? That is the Holy Sacrament, the Eucharist. 
Our Lord gives himself body, blood, soul, and divinity in the blessed sacrament to you, to be united with you, joined. It's like the one flesh union of man and wife. We are bound with our Lord. What a gift. And so those two images are very, very important for what I hope that this show will become. An opportunity to share that fire within the glory of the Holy Church that Christ himself founded, the Catholic Church. Well, I think it's very important for us to get to know one another. So in in this show, I'd like to give you a little bit of background about who I am and where I come from and what I do. If I had to go all the way back to my childhood, I grew up in San Antonio, Texas. My father was in the army. And when I was just a toddler, we were stationed in Stuttgart, Germany. And then when he came back, we landed at Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio. And unfortunately for me, my parents were divorced when I was like six years old. That was a very, very, very difficult time for me and my sister. I personally struggled immensely with the separation of my parents. And so I had all of that to deal with. And on top of that, I discovered my my father's pornography at a very young age and became addicted to it myself. And so if I fast forward, I spent over 21 years addicted to pornography. And even though I was raised in the Church of Christ, a very, a very conservative Protestant denomination, I waned in my teenage years. I fell away. And all through high school, all I wanted to do was conquer the world and claim trophies. It was all about me. And then the first Gulf War came up, and I was gung-ho. I wanted to serve my country. So I joined the United States Marine Corps. At 17 years old, the Marines came to my mother's house and took me away. Off to boot camp I went. And I was, I was soaking it all up because in boot camp, I was so motivated that I graduated number one out of 450 plus Marines. I was the company honorman. I was the top Marine graduating on that day. I was proud. My parents were proud. It was a great day. But it was sort of a a weird time because at that point, I remember that day I left boot camp, nobody was there to be my mother and father anymore. I mean, there was no drill instructor to tell me what to do, when to eat, when to get up, when to get dressed, when to get down and give me 100. (laughs) There was none of that anymore. It was just let loose on the world. And as soon as I was let loose on the world, I was all about me. And I served me. Again, I was collecting trophies. You see, when you're addicted to pornography, people aren't people. They're commodities. They're trophies. You collect them. They don't have feelings or emotions or value other than how they might serve you. That's what I did. I was sent to Hawaii for my permanent duty station. (laughs) Could you imagine Hawaii? Oh, yeah. Great place. Beautiful. Lots of good times in Hawaii. And there I was. 
out all by myself, surrounded in paradise. Once again, I was collecting trophies, trying to have the best time I could have. I fell so far into self-absorbment that I no longer wanted to serve my country in honor and dignity as much as I wanted to serve myself in self-indulgence. It was a very shameful time and a very dark time, actually. I even took a girl to get an abortion. It was pretty horrific. It still breaks my heart to this day to think about that time. But I continued through this phase of self-gratification. And pornography only made it worse. It was a vortex sucking me further and further down. And when I got out of the military, I came home to Texas. And I fell into a deep depression. Drinking all the time. Frequenting adult clubs all the time. Lost. I was wandering, not knowing what to do with my life. Job to job, place to place. Well, finally, my sister, trying to do her best to, to turn me around, brought me to her place in Oklahoma City, and I started to attend a broadcasting school for radio, for a career in radio. I was going to be famous. You watch. <laughs> well, as soon as I graduated... From this broadcasting school, I sold my car. I bought a, a bus ticket with, it took all the money I had. A one-way trip from Dallas, Fort Worth to Boston. I stepped off the train in Boston, April first, nineteen ninety-seven, to a snowstorm. <laughs> I should have known better right then and there. I moved in with my dad because my dad had been living in New England with his latest girlfriend because my dad. He was addicted to pornography, and it was destroying his life. One relationship to the next, he was consuming women like they were trophies too, like father, like son. Well, I moved in with him. I quickly discovered his pornography, and I quickly began using and abusing once again. But I was fortunate. I got two jobs and two radio stations up there in New Hampshire, and one of those radio stations, God blessed me abundantly. That's how I met my wife. See, I was on the radio one day, and I was a co-host of a of a radio morning show. It was a alternative rock station in Nashua, WHOB 106.3. And my future spouse heard me and actually thought I was funny and called in, and we started talking. And then one day when I was broadcasting live from a pizza joint in Nashua, she came to visit me, and that was like love at first sight. The very instant I put my eyes on her, I knew she was the one. And that very night, even though I never talked to God, that very night, I got on my knees and I praised God. And I thanked Him. You see, I always thank God for the good times. You know, when things were, were going okay, you know, that was great, God, thanks. High five. I never turned to him during the bad times. It's kind of opposite of the way it normally goes, huh? That's kind of the way my, my life sort of laid itself out. Well, long story short, my wife says, you got to become Catholic if we're going to get married because I wanted to marry her. I said, okay, it doesn't matter to me. I was pretty agnostic. I was all about me. It didn't matter. So I go through RCIA classes. 
And I remember there one night sitting there listening to them read to me Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, listening to our Lord's Sermon on the Mount as he, as he beckons and begs us to holiness. He's calling us to holiness. And those Beatitudes, seek holiness. And I remember thinking to myself, there is no way, no way I'm going to be doing that tonight. I'm not going to be seeking holiness. You see, I had high-speed internet connectivity, broadband. I could get online and seek all the junk I could ever want in an instant, as fast as you pleased. And I was, at every opportunity, doing just that. And that night, oh, I wouldn't be seeking holiness. Oh, no. I was going to be doing the junk instead. And there... In that RCIA class, listening to those Beatitudes, I remember thinking to myself, Whew, it's a good thing I've got all the time in the world. Because that is true, that is right, and I am everything opposite of that. Kind of a scary thought that we think we have all the time in the world, isn't it? Because we don't. Because you never know when it's going to be your time. When our Lord will come calling for you. But the Lord God was not done with me yet. Even though I was not ready to surrender myself, He was not done with me yet. He held on to me as tight as He could. And I wiggled and I wormed and I tried to get out, but He wouldn't let go. Let's fast forward. I was living life so horribly. I was abusing every opportunity I could get. And I was misusing my wife. And we came to a point where we couldn't take it anymore. One day, I lost my job. I was out of work. And not only was I not bringing home love, respect, integrity, honor, but now I wasn't bringing home a paycheck either. What good was I? My wife had enough of it. She wanted to leave me. I was horrible. And I had no hope for the future. So she wrote it out on a piece of paper. You take this, I take that, we're done. My life as I knew it was crashing down around me. I lost my job. Losing my my marriage. My wife was leaving me. And I was going to lose my house because I had no income. Everything was crumbling. And on a spring day in April of 2002, I got down on my knees and I turned to that one person, that one man, whom I was sure would not be there because I was never there for him. I just thought for sure he wouldn't be there for me. I mean, I didn't deserve for him to be there for me. But I turned to him anyway and I said, God, I cannot do this. You got to do this. I give this to you. And in that instant, in that moment of time, he allowed me to understand things that I did not understand the very instant before. And I'm not making this up and I am not exaggerating. He helped me to understand. He allowed me to understand that my sexual integrity was paramount to seeking holiness. That Jesus Christ 
came to set me free from the slavery of sin. You see, back in that RCIA class, I thought to myself, we were all born to lust. Everybody does it. We're born for it. No, no. God allowed me to understand there on my knees on that spring day. I was not born to lust. I was born to be the son of the most high God. Born with the integrity of a son, not a slave. I had become a slave. I had taken the inheritance of my father and I squandered it. And I was stuck wallowing in the mud with the pigs. And I came back begging to my father to be his slave. And instead, he made me a son. He restored me to full dignity. He killed the fatted calf. He threw the party. He put clothes on me and fed me and made me a son. That's what happened on that spring day. It was beyond this world. I was so filled with the peace and the joy of Christ, I could not begin to explain it to you. He helped me to understand that if my marriage was going to be saved, it was going to require my work, my effort, not my wife's. I had done so much damage that I must make up for it. And guess what? My marriage was worth saving at all costs, every time. It was an uphill road, trust me. But it was worth the climb. God also gave me on that day, and in the instant of time, He allowed me to have this hunger, this thirst to just know Him. I couldn't get enough of Him. I had to know Him. I was like insane just to have anything that talked about God because I realized I didn't know anything about Him. Nothing. Even though I grew up in the Church of Christ and this really orthodox, or not really orthodox, but this really conservative Protestant denomination where I went to Sunday school every Sunday, you attend church two and three times every week, I still didn't know anything. And so I was hungry. I would listen to Christian radio and I started reading the books and the Bible every day and I just was absorbing all I could. But I was feeling somewhat lost in the sea of Christianity. You see, I didn't know about definitive truth, about the fullness of the faith. I didn't know about truth being bedrock. It was somewhat relative to me. And so I started to feel, even though we were Catholic and I was still going to Mass... I didn't believe in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. I didn't believe in the Pope and, you know, and the Mary. We can't pray to saints and dead people. There is no purgatory. I didn't believe any of these things. And close friends and family members were leading us out of the church, out to come to their Protestant denominations. And I asked my dad, I was, see, I was, my dad was also having a conversion experience at the same time. And I was trying to share with him what I was going through. And he sent me a book of denominations. It was a book about an inch and a half to two inches thick. And as soon as I saw this book, it struck me like a lightning bolt. This can't be true. You can't have that many flavors, versions of the truth. 
Jesus didn't come to give us thousands and thousands and thousands of versions of his truth. There is only one. He says so. John 17, he makes it abundantly clear that they should be one. This book led me. It initiated a journey in me that would be profound in life life-changing, life-altering. I no longer felt like I could read the Bible because I didn't understand it. It didn't I couldn't trust anybody's version of it. I couldn't trust someone's commentary. I needed to find that true church. And so I put the Bible down and I prayed to the Holy Spirit, "Oh, come Holy Spirit and lead me to the truth." And he introduced me to the early church fathers. And so I made I made this deal with myself. I said, "Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back in time." That's right. I'm going to go back in time and I'm going to study everything that those early Christians did from the time of Christ's ascension to about 300 AD. I'm going to block it in there and I'm going to study all their writings and all their archaeology and everything that went on during that period of time. And whatever I find there, I will use that as my model to find the one true church today. And whatever that is, whatever that is, that's where I'll go. Oh, oh, I was not prepared. I was not prepared for what I would find. It was amazing. The Didache. First century. The teaching of the apostles. This document was so pro- prolific. It was copied so many times and found all over. Because this was the teaching of the apostles from the first century. It talks about the blessed sacrament. Our Lord's real presence in the Eucharist. It talks about Mass on Sunday. It talks about baptism, being of any kind of water, of any amount of water, so long as it's done in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It talks about confession before receiving Holy Eucharist. It is a wonderful document. 107 AD, St. Ignatius of Antioch, the bishop, on his way to his death in the Colosseum to be eaten by the beasts, writes seven letters to the churches in Asia Minor. He uses language that is only Catholic, like, do nothing outside of your bishop. Where your bishop is, there is the Catholic Church. He uses the word Catholic in 107. He is the first instance of it. But he doesn't use it in a way that say, hey, I got this new word, let's all start using it. No, he takes it for granted that the church is referred to as Catholic in 107 AD. He is so explicitly clear on the real presence of our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament that it is undeniable. Fast forward, 150 AD, St. Justin Martyr, who in a letter written to the Emperor of Rome, begging him to stop the persecutions of Christians, lifts back the veil of the secrecy of the Holy Mass, of the worship of the earliest Christians, 150 AD. He explains, he details the Mass. And let me tell you something, it is the same Mass you and I attend today. It is so clear. It was 
amazing to read. I could go on and on and on. It really is that amazing. And I remember I all of the obstacles started to fall for me. I was starting to become more and more in love with this Catholic Church. And the last obstacle for me was the Holy Eucharist. That real presence, it was hard to come, in, to, come to grips with. And so one day I looked up every single word of John chapter 6 in the original Greek. I looked them up. I am not a Greek scholar. Not at all. But I wanted to know how literal was he or how figurative was he and the words were so literal chew gnaw hunk of dripping flesh our lord says in john chapter 6 you must eat my body and drink my blood if you are to have life within you he is so clear and that was it that was it for me. At that point, I accepted upon on faith all the other teachings and doctrines of this beloved church, even though I didn't understand them all. Even though I still had to grow in my faith, I had just accepted the faith as a child. And I praise God. And from that moment on, I have been seeking for ways to share the fire that burns within me with all the world. To use the gifts and the aptitudes that our Lord has given us is our purpose in this life. You were not born to be a successful business person. You were not born to teach college math. You were not born to be a construction worker. You were born to serve God. Now maybe you serve God on the construction site. And maybe you serve God in the college classroom. And maybe you serve God in the corporate boardroom. But remember this, you serve God first and foremost. Your aptitudes, all that God has given to you, is to be used for His purpose and His glory alone. If you are rich or you are poor, all for the glory of God. It doesn't matter where you're at in life. He's given you these gifts. He expects you to use them for Him. And so I started to use these gifts. God has blessed me abundantly. I started podcasting. Podcasting is like a radio show, but only over the internet. And so I created a, a podcast called The Catholic Hack with Joe McLean. I've been doing it for a couple of years now, and it's been really great. I've had several thousand downloads every week worldwide. I've gotten to know people all over this beautiful world of ours through our faith sharing my my conversion stories, sharing Catholic apologetics, sharing the doctrines and the beauty and the depth of the fullness of faith. I've also been blessed to become the director of a Catholic evangelization ministry called Fullness of Truth. And at Fullness of Truth, we hold Catholic family conferences regionally throughout the state of Texas. And it's been a blessing. I've been able to work with some of the best Catholic theologians and Bible scholars and apologists and speakers in, in the United States. And it's just been really a gift from God. And I praise him for that. I also co-host a radio show called Finding Your Keys with a buddy of mine called Josh LeBlanc on Alexandria, Louisiana. And now God has blessed me abundantly again 
with the opportunity to be here with you, speaking with you, sharing the faith with you. What a gift we have. And so I hope that you come to enjoy Behold the Man, the show that I hope will be an opportunity for us to get to know one another. One another. And I'm going to start by going through a book, the one book that really helped me to understand the Bible more than any other. You see, when I was growing up, the Bible seemed sort of, you know, broken apart. You got the old, you got the new, and it didn't seem to make any sense to me. And I, I stayed with that up until about three years ago, four years ago, until I came across A Father Who Keeps His Promises by Dr. Scott Hahn. This book, above all others, helped me to understand how perfectly coordinated, how perfectly the old and the new fit together. How the new was hidden in the old, and the old is revealed in the new. And that's what I'm going to be sharing with you next on Behold the Man. And I cannot wait to do it. that's going to do it. That's going to do it for this first show of Behold the Man. Please send me an email. You can reach me at catholichack, H-A-C-K, at gmail.com. All one word, catholichack at gmail.com, and let me know what you think. I'm looking forward to getting to know you. Until next time, may God richly bless you. God bless. From the Catholic Underground.